episode 77, The Power of Vulnerability with Rissa Ray. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful, but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Brene Brown is the godmother of research on shame and vulnerability. She says owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy, the experiences that make us most vulnerable. Only when we're brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. We have talked about vulnerability on the podcast before, but one of the angles that we've never covered is vulnerability when it comes to men. And I came across an interview that Brene Brown did recently in The Atlantic where she says messages of shame are actually organized by gender. I want to read you this quote from an interview that she did with Andy Hines. Brene says, quote, most women pledge allegiance to this idea that women can explore their emotions, break down, fall apart, and it's healthy. But guys are not alone allowed to fall apart. She went on in the interview to explain that men are often pressured to open up and talk about their feelings, and they're criticized for being emotionally walled off, but if they get too real, they're met with revulsion. And Brene Brown actually admits that there are times earlier in her life where she was guilty of this herself. She says, after doing years of research on this topic, the most shocking bit is that men's shame is not primarily inflicted by other men. She says it's actually the women in their lives who tend to be repelled when men show the chinks in their armor. So why is this an important discussion? Number one, men's mental health matters. I think it is one of the most pressing issues facing us as a country right now. If you look at the amount of mass shootings that are happening literally on a daily basis, 92% of them are committed by men. Also, the level to which a man feels safe to self-disclose in his romantic relationship is going to affect the dynamics of a marriage, and it will affect the amount of intimacy that they're able to experience with a partner. So I wanted to go deeper on this, and ironically, the best resource I knew to come in and have a conversation today about male vulnerability is a woman. Rissa Ray is a dear friend of mine. She's a multifaceted healer who works in movement, massage, and mentorship. Her special focus, though, is relationships with ourselves and with others at work, at home, and at heart. She's working with men toward building lasting, meaningful connections. This is going to be a wide-ranging discussion that she and I have today, but Rissa will share the five steps we can take to harness our vulnerability and be able to open up to be honest with ourselves and with others. She'll explain why vulnerability is not something men are taught as children and how that affects their adult relationships. We're going to talk about the media, our culture, and how it shapes men's views on vulnerability and why so many men have been conditioned to hide their wounded parts. We'll talk about what we see today as masculinity in the news and in politics isn't true masculinity. And we'll talk about the importance of communication among men, how we need to have deeper connections and build deeper conversations. If you love what you're hearing today, please share this with a friend. You can screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason, and you can find Rissa 
at Rissa Ray, R-I-S-S-A-W-R-A-Y. Or you can also continue the conversation. And if there was ever an episode that I think needs to have a deeper conversation, it's this one. We're going to be taking your thoughts, your questions, your aha moments in our Life Amplified Power Tribe. That's our private Facebook group. You can find us there. A link is in the show notes. And don't forget, we're gladly accepting your honest reviews right now on Apple. And I'm running a special content test through the end of September. For every honest review that you leave, I'm going to make a donation to Feeding America that will help us feed 165 hungry Americans. Plus, each person who leaves a review goes into the grand prize drawing for your choice of a new pair of AirPods for you to listen to the podcast on, or I will send you an Amazon gift card. So leave those reviews once you check out the podcast. You don't have to kiss up to us. Uh, Just leave your honest feedback, and we'll get you in that grand prize drawing. In the meantime, sit back, relax. We are going to do a deep dive on the power of vulnerability with Rissa Ray. Rissa Ray, welcome to Life Amplified. Hi. (laughs) It's good to have you here. Rissa is an amazing soul, special person, knew her when I lived in Florida, is a yoga teacher, and now she's stepping out and evolving and doing amazing healing work in other ways, and we're going to talk about some of that coming up today. But the big topic today is about vulnerability and vulnerability with men, which probably has already incited a pseudo panic attack for some of the men listening today. But for some of the women listening, they're like, oh my God, yes, I wish my man would be more vulnerable. Why is this such an important topic in 2019? And why is it really like paramount for just how we we grow as a society and where we're headed into the future? Well, that's a big question. I actually, it hasn't been my experience necessarily that men might shy away from this topic. I think actually after sharing my opinions on the subject recently on social media, a lot of my male friends reached out to me directly just to say thank you and just to say that they really resonated with hearing this topic given voice. So I think it's actually really pertinent. I think I think this is going on inside of men and it's hard to just snap your fingers and reconfigure what you've culturally been taught, what you've witnessed in your father, in your grandfather, in your male role models, in movie stars, in on sure. television, you name it. So I think that on the news, we also see a lot of violence committed by men, even men killing themselves. And it's, it's not just men, of course. Sure. We live in a pretty masculine culture um, that wants to dominate, that wants to know, that wants to be in control. And I think that the byproduct of that is violence. I think it's violent against yourself to expect yourself to be in the know and in control all the time. And I think it's violent against other people, of course, as well, to then project those expectations onto them. You and I were talking about some statistics earlier this evening. 92% of these mass shootings that we've seen over the years, and now they've, you know, we're almost numb to it because it's become a daily basis, committed by men. Over 90% of gun owners are men. And the suicide rates, men are three and a half times more likely to take their own life than women. So clearly there is something going on with men, with masculinity. Yes. 
And what is the crossroads that we're at? Well, another statistic that I learned recently, let's see, I think it was 50 something percent of women have experienced violent assault. And that's just a general term, violent assault. And over 60% of men have experienced violent assault. So more men and boys are abused, general physical assault abused than girls. And this is where we're at. We, we had a Me Too movement, but where the where's the Men Too movement? Where's the men's dignified path to healing? Mm. And that's what really concerns me because shame and blame aren't working. Of course. In your estimation, and, and you have felt called to step in and get more personally involved in working with men on this, why is it for you that a woman is the right person to help a man facilitate the healing? Yeah, that's a good question. I doubted my role in this realm for a while. I had heard and seen that it's important for men to give each other permission, which I totally agree, like, please. But I also know it's important as a woman to witness and validate feminine, and by feminine, I mean vulnerable, non-controlling expression of emotion in men. Because the perception might be that to be a real man, you never cry and women don't want to see that. They want a provider and a whatever. No, I'm a woman and I really want to see it. I respect you more to give yourself permission to be a whole person who experiences a whole range of human emotion, who can hold space for yourself in expressing those emotions and who can lean into an honest mutually supportive relationship where you express those honest feelings. What you're saying is beautiful. And what you're saying also flies in the face of generations of cultural programming yes. that we have experienced as men, where it's about, you got to work, you got to achieve, you have to strive, you have to dominate in your career. You have to be a provider that you have to have the biggest toys, that you have to have the nicest car. You know, we still see this in commercial advertising. You know, to be that guy, it's about, you know, driving the nicest car, having the best job, you know, having the hottest women beside you. There's been so much of that. And I don't know if you remember from last year, the Gillette campaign that they did about the best a man can get, where they were showing this new version of masculinity, where fathers were stepping in and stopping the boys from getting in a fight or stopping bullying on the playground. There was outrage on YouTube. Like that, that campaign had more thumbs down than likes because people were just so outraged that we're, oh, we're just going to turn our boys into little girls. There were people out there who thought that. What is your answer to that? Well, that's just fear. I mean, if you've been taught that you have to be a certain way to receive love and validation and power, then you're just going to perpetuate. It's the same logic of hazing. Mm -hmm. This was done to me, therefore I do it to you. But if we stop and think like, oh, where's this really taking us? to a morally bankrupt culture where we all just dominate each other. Like clearly that's not working. Yeah. I think people know in the back of their minds that that's not working. I think people are hungry for real connection and real healthy, equal, loving relationships. Like the, with some of the statistics that you mentioned about loneliness, loneliness is also a predictor of early death yeah. and an unhappy life. So people don't want to hang around you if you're a big bully. Bullying doesn't get you love. In your experience in dating, mm -hmm. in relationships, mm -hmm. 
How is it that you see men are showing up in relationships that we need to be doing differently? Well, of course, this is my experience, but also talking to my friends and anecdotally, it's not just me. I see men, they hit a wall when it comes to emotions and they're absolutely terrified to go any deeper. They, they don't have the experience. They haven't practiced successfully going down that path and owning feelings, talking about feelings and not being maybe like you said, just called names, abandoned. And my experience has been just to hit that wall and, and they shut down, you know, they lashed out. One of them lashed out. Um, most of them shut down. Some of them run away and ghost. Some of them bl have blamed themselves. Just think they're broken. Better mm. off alone. That was what one of them said. Better off alone. And it just broke my heart. And it was really sad being in a relationship, trying to be in an equal partnership with these people who have been emotionally stunted, essentially, because it hurt me because I needed them. And I needed them in a way that exceeded their capabilities and I can't fix them. And so I'm stepping into this role of like, I don't have a need from you. I want to help you. Actually, I can be a third party. I can be a safe person just to help you and encourage you and coach you to face these hard feelings, to take risks in your relationships, to form healthy and loving relationships with trustworthy people. Mm. It ain't an easy thing. The number one need, what I've seen in my coaching for feminine energy partners in a relationship is a need for safety. Of course, physical safety. I mean, we don't just want to make the line of demarcation physical abuse, right? But emotional safety. I think we all need to feel safe. That's number one. But can a man who has not embraced vulnerability and is up here, you know, just kind of living in the achieving and the striving and the rat race, the competition. In your estimation, can a man who is living in that world who's disconnected from emotions, can he make his partner feel safe? Well, I don't know about making his partner feel safe, but I know that if your self-worth is determined by all of these external things, then how would you even know if someone loved you for the real you? If you're only used to loving yourself for these external things, if you don't love yourself for the inner vulnerable you, if you do love yourself for the inner vulnerable you, then other people feel safer around you. Really the point of relationships, particularly romantic relationships, but I think that this is true of friendships and connection. The point of us being in relationship in the first place a lot of people think it's about, oh, it's, you know, connection. It's about getting married. It's about raising a family, somebody to watch Netflix with. It's about the sex. Really, the emotional needs that we have in relationship are intimacy, you know, emotional intimacy to have somebody be there with us and be able to see and hear and witness the parts of ourselves that we're not even sure are lovable and who will still accept that. And then besides intimacy, it's also about growth. You know, you want to get into a relationship with somebody that you are continually growing with. And certainly if, you know, I see this a lot where people come to me to work on their relationship, one partner does, but if you got one partner doing the work and the other isn't, eventually they're going to grow apart. So intimacy is the byproduct of telling the truth. It's about speaking up what's true for you. Is that the biggest issue right now for men in your estimation is being able to 
to just open themselves up fully and share all of themselves and not just the shit that looks great up on Instagram and Facebook. Mm -hmm. My favorite definition of intimacy is simply communicating on a personal level. If you're not communicating on a personal level, you know, if you talk about the football game or something. Surface level conversation. Yeah, which is a way of bonding. I think that was one of the things that we looked up. Men tend to bond over an activity. They're not going to sit face to face and just look deeply into each other's eyes and be like, here's what's going on in my marriage. <laughs> like that's just, that tends to not happen. It can and it does. <laughs> I have, I have male friends who, who do communicate courageously like that. And it's because they've learned that it's important. They've practiced it and they are fed and nurtured by it. And they are felt seen, they feel seen and heard and supported because of it. So they've experienced success because of it. But I think that I have worked as a massage therapist for the past seven years. I've worked as a yoga teacher for the past five and I've held space for men and in this way that they really need and they really blossom in, in these, um, you know, safe environments where they don't, they let their guard down and it's Mm. really beautiful. And, and I think that it takes practice and it takes courage and it takes, mental, emotional maturity. It takes self-nurturing. It takes a lot to be a courageous person, not just when you're paying someone behind closed doors to take a load off every once in a while, but when you're actually deciding every day to wake up and to be you, to be unabashedly you, to not pretend that everything's fine or to when you're hurt, lash out in anger instead. It is not easy. It's not easy for many women I know, just as much as it is for many men that I know. So in order for us to embrace vulnerability, you've come today and you've given us five steps that are going to be able to help both uh, men and also women who are leaning more in their masculine energy. Is that fair to say that this can help people really embrace, become whole and find that sense of vulnerability so that they can build better connections. They can have a more, more meaningful life, a healthier life, a life full of love, a life full of meaning and authenticity. I want to give some perspective for the man who's listening who might not be far into a self-development path because we, yeah. you know, we throw around a lot of spaces as coaches and as healers about, oh, holding space. And, but people are like, what does all that mean? For me, I'll give a practical example on what it was like for me to actually embrace and feel safe in my masculine energy because my dad was super alpha in his career. My dad accomplished a lot. My dad was a CEO of a major corporation. My dad was a wonderful man and a good father. Despite all the traveling, he was still home and he would have like the WWE wrestling tickets or the baseball tickets. We spent time, but my dad also did not do emotion and that reflected in his marriage because my mother was the one who was the super masculine energy, but almost, you know, in a toxic sort of way. You know, my mom was somebody who was actually hurt by a lot of masculine men growing up. So she morphed into the thing that hurt her as a protection mechanism. But what the dynamic that that creates for children, and I'll say specifically little boys, is if you grow up in a home 
you know, dad can be super alpha in his career, but if he comes home and he's passive at home in the marriage and mom is super alpha and mom's the masculine energy, it creates a situation where for me growing up, I had to assume feminine energy in order to complete that dysfunctional dynamic. When I was up in my masculine energy, that created a turf war with my mom because she had to assert power and came over the top. And that usually ended in either, you know, some sort of physical abuse or emotional abuse, even worse. To make that even harder, when I would get sad about it as a kid and my dad was, you know, my dad wasn't there emotionally and mom was in her masculine energy, I usually got belittled if I was sad and told, well, you're being a baby. You're feeling sorry for yourself. So anger wasn't safe to feel. Sadness wasn't safe to feel. And I just kind of became a guy through most of my life who was numb. I didn't feel anything. But I modeled after my dad and I became very career oriented and I was completely emotionally cut off because I always believed that on some level, if I were in my masculine energy, that it would make a woman angry. And that was the dynamic that I had. And, and it totally affected the way I showed up in relationships because I was a guy who was way passive. You know, I was always like, I don't know. Where do you want to go for dinner tonight? <laughs> like women would be like, a-hole, I'm making decisions all day at work. Can you just do something? Can you make a decision? But I was, I couldn't step up and be assertive like that. So you can imagine what that made my dating prospects like in my 20s, you know, because most good women are like, well, you know, this guy's kind of a pushover. He doesn't have it together. And women who were sort of looking for a man to be submissive were very drawn to that. But then I found, and that's really what my marriage was, is I recreated my parents' marriage, you know, as being the guy who was super successful, passive in the relationship. She didn't respect me. And I created that dynamic again. And when you're not in that place of feeling emotionally, I'll speak for myself, right? When I was not in a place of feeling uh, like it was safe for me to show up emotionally, I lived on the surface. I could make a lot of jokes, could talk about TV shows, talk about movies, talk about celebrity gossip, but don't ask me about me. And that was really, really, really tough for a lot of years. And it led to depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. So, uh, you know, I have so much respect for the fact that you're creating this dialogue and wanting, you know, to be a source, because I think that there are men listening today who've never had that experience of a woman or a female figure really encouraging them to share and letting them know that it's safe. So that's really, really beautiful in terms of what you're doing. And I know that you came today and you have some specific steps that can help men start to come out of the isolation, come out of the loneliness, come out of, not come out of achieving, because that's part of masculine energy, but get them also into feeling instead of just doing. Thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful, Dan. It's funny in my work because, you know, with my clients, I deal with about 75% women. And there are men who reach out and they fill out the application, but when it's time to commit to coaching, they're like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. And could actually be because it's harder sometimes to be witnessed and, and show that vulnerability to another man, yeah. you know, like even on a primal level, you don't sure. want to be the weak member of the tribe. So I think that that's why it's so beautiful what you're doing to be able to be a, a safe place for men to show this other side and know that it's okay. Yeah. Know that it's encouraged, know that it's good, know that it's the path to growth because nobody, I think maybe surface level life you can get stuck in. 
it can feel safe because going deep, like who knows, you open Pandora's box, who knows yeah. what's going to come out. And so safety and security and having a, a social support system is really important. And you mentioned my five steps and, you know, I totally made these up. I gathered them from other resources and sources of inspiration, of course, but a social support system is imperative mm -hmm. because it's not a matter of if you'll need to reach out. It's a matter of when, because how can you transform if you've always got your hands on the wheel? You know, you're going driving the bus and you've got to be able to let someone else tag in so you can take a nap, rest, recharge, recuperate and wake up anew or, you know, totally break down. <laughs> sure. That is a part of it. And I think that's the other thing is like sometimes, right, we're surface level, we go deep and sometimes shit spirals out of control. And that's normal. That is normal. You know, it's normal to to experience catharsis and surrender and to break down and to cry. And I've heard it called ego death. Mm -hmm. And the same fears of death get triggered in resistance to doing that, to letting yourself go through that process. And if you've never done it, then you don't know that right when you're resisting it the most and right when you don't want to let go the most is actually the time when you need that cocoon of mm -hmm. safety that's provided by, you know, friends, family members, people you trust, people who have proven to you that they're trustworthy. So that's step one is support system. For the man out there, because we've seen the statistics, 35% yeah. of men say that they're lonely. A lot of men uh, in studies that I've seen and the number varies say that they don't have a best friend. Women can relate to each other through an emotional level. That's what mm -hmm. we know like Sunday boozy brunches, like yeah. girls day. Oh, sure. Men relate to each other through activities. You know, there are men who like to go play basketball. There are mm -hmm. men who like to play sports. There are men who are involved in churches or social groups or, you know, political organizations. Yeah. But to relate in an emotional level, where does one go to create that in their life? Reaching out is a risk. So let's not pretend that it's just this safe, beautiful thing and you're always going to be supported by the person you reach out to. Nope. It's a risk, but hopefully we can take smart risks here and we can look at the people who have shown up for us. Who would you call if you were taken to jail? Who would you call? The, the bail bondsman. Who would you call if you were taken to the hospital? Who would you call if your business needed support? Who would you call if you needed advice? Who would you call if you needed and then this is kind of again at the bottom of the list but it's what i do who would you call if you needed touch and intimacy and love who would you call to go out to lunch who would you call if you're sad so if you don't have answers for those then then i really think maybe you're not looking hard enough maybe that you've just isolated for so long and it's time to against all of your fears step out into the world and to watch who shows up when you reach out first it's over the small things and then you build trust by each action, you say men relate more based on action. Who do you watch the football game with? Yeah. Who do you get a drink with? These small actions where someone shows up, they can show up for bigger stuff. You build it up. I picture a guy who's like going to call up his dude this weekend and be like, yo, so we got our fantasy football drafts coming up this week. And then, hey, can I talk about how I'm feeling emotionally broken afterwards? But, but maybe there is somebody that would yeah. share that experience. Because if that many men are feeling lonely, according to statistics, then yes. it means other men are looking for somebody that they can yes. relate You're to. Yes, you're not the only deeply. one. 
It's, right? Yeah. It's why I love, like, when I go to, like, personal development events or yes. seminars, it's usually overwhelmingly women in the room, but mm-hmm. the guys who are there, those are, like, my people. This is why I want to step into this work, because I'm a safe person you can call. And just by practicing with me, or a therapist, or a coach, or whomever, by having a successful feedback loop of reaching out for support and having that need met, you will re- wire your brain and rewrite that story that says, I can't reach out. Something's wrong with me because I'm sad. Something's wrong with me. No, you're going to reach out and you're going to have it reinforced and you're going to know nothing's wrong with you. That makes perfect sense according to what you've experienced. And I'm here for you. I see you. I validate you. I mirror you. It's okay. It's good. Thank you for reaching out. There's part of me in the back of my mind that laughs because we as men have these stereotypes that we can't even pull the car over and ask for directions, you know, like thank God for the GPS systems now. It's like sort of saved millions of marriages, I feel like, over the course of the year. There's part of us, if we're resistant to even asking for directions, how do we ask for help when we're hurting? You know, my perspective, just coming as a man myself, there are many times I've had mentors and coaches, you know, I still have them in my life. And what has happened through my own relationships with my mentors and coaches is giving voice to some of those things that are the most shameful things in my life. Some of the parts of me that I didn't think were lovable, that it's created space where I've been able to now share this. I was recently at a seven day trauma retreat where I was able to share some really, really personal, deep stuff from my childhood with other people. Uh, It's allowed me to share that now with friends more openly, selectively. And, you know, even you and I were at the beach yesterday and you're another person. Talking about our deep life trauma. Yeah, right? (laughs) Casual. I think a lot of times what people don't realize is that the place you're not willing to go when it comes in terms of self-disclosure or talking about your feelings, it's because that's the place you think the love will stop. And the minute that you can give voice to those things and have it witnessed and be heard and have somebody like when you and I were sharing, the first thing you did after I shared is you just gave me a huge hug. There's something so powerful in that though, because then you're not living in the regrets, the shame of your childhood, the guilt or all those other low vibe emotions that keep you stuck. So super, super beautiful. And thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. Shame keeps things quiet and hidden. Shame grows in silence and in darkness. And just by knowing this, you can coach yourself. You can coach that inner child who's afraid that the love ends at a Mm -hmm. certain place. And when you wise up to your own bullshit, you realize, nope, nope. Take that little baby child by the hand and guide them into the light. Find a trusted friend and you need to speak that shame to break the spell. Sure. You do. And it's, you can write about it. You can talk to a therapist about it. You can talk to a coach about it, trusted friend, these safe places first. You reinforce those safe places and then you start to take those safe places with you. It loses its spell. It loses its charge. You become more resilient. And by experiencing that space holding from others who are more practiced, you're able to learn how to hold that space for yourself and hold it for others. And one of the worst stories that we tell ourselves in the back of our minds is that we're alone. We're the only ones who feel this. And then you see, you hear somebody talk about it and you're like, oh shit, they do it too. And this, I hope people know when you talk about it, someone else is listening and going like, oh my God, I'm not alone. 
I'm not the only one. So you don't know who you inspire by your honest self-divulgence. And we all have trauma. We've all experienced traumatic experiences and it takes practice. It can't just, you can't just sit in a corner by yourself and think yourself into change. You can't, you have to practice it. You have to feel it like literally, right? A hug that I could say, Oh, how wonderful with my words, or I could hug you. And you know, by that hug, that that's connection, that's love, that's acceptance. And you feel it in your body. You feel it in your nervous system in a way that words can't express. This all leads really nicely into the second point that you have, because I feel (laughs) like we've, yeah, I feel like we've already sort of, we're already headed down the road. The second thing that you said is important for embracing vulnerability is self-nurturing. Define self-nurturing. Well, I guess it's the opposite of self-punishing. And the analogy that I like to think of is, you know, so two people can step on a yoga mat and one can be there to kick their own ass and the other can be there to self-nurture and to feel their body and to receive the sensations of their own emotions of each part of themselves and to think nurturing thoughts. And by nurturing thoughts, I mean, validating thoughts. I mean, accepting thoughts. I mean, tender thoughts. I mean, loving thoughts. Mm. So you can think it's so funny going along with this analogy. People are split on mirrors in yoga classes. Some people love mirrors and some people don't. And I think mirrors are what you make of them, right? If you look in a mirror and you think, Oh my God, I'm so fat. Look at my ankles. I don't know. Ankles. I don't know why I picked that, but the other person could look into a mirror and think, Hey, doing all right today. Or you can think like, whoa, my hips are out of balance. What if I move them slightly to the right? Oh, that's better. Okay. Let me feel this. Let me digest it. Let me feel this. And this is balance. This is balance. This is balance. And that's what I do personally on my yoga mat. And I love mirrors because I could be on my yoga mat thinking like, here I am perfectly in balance. And then I look in the mirror and I'm totally out of whack. (laughs) And then I have to adjust and then I have to feel it. I'm trying to re-educate my own sensory perception of myself. And so self-nurturing is about attitude. It takes some self-discipline. It takes some holding yourself accountable, maybe even setting up some social accountable structures. You can lean on the people in your support system. And self-nurturing also involves letting go, right? So if it's habit replacement, that means you're letting go of some stuff that maybe you've been doing for a long time. Maybe Diet Coke is your favorite thing in the world. Okay. You're going to have an emotional loss when you let, let go of diet Coke. Maybe that's what you drank with your dad growing up or your mom growing up, or like you have some emotional attachment to these dysfunctional habits, patterns, behaviors, consumptions, and you need to let yourself grieve those dysfunctional things because it's like losing an old friend that was there for you. It was there for you, but you're a little older and a little wiser now, and you're going to change it on purpose. You're going to let yourself process that feeling, and you're going to replace it with something else. Self-nurturing then at the end of the day is taking care of not just your body, but your emotional well-being too, right? Self-nurturing requires action and attitude, Mm -hmm. positive attitude. So that's where the emotion comes in. Just think that there's a lot of people who'd be like, well, yeah, I self-nurture, I go to yoga and then they're, you know, they're there, they're doing the poses, but they're never actually processing any of the stress, frustration, sadness, shame, guilt. Yes. Or they're not using yoga as a path to self-awareness and self-empowerment. They're using it as a form of exercise, you know, just repetitive and tuning out. Or I'm a yoga teacher. I see people who... And they're the product of their lives. They have resistance to, to letting go. Or if, if I come up and offer an adjustment 
um, or, uh, you know, some guidance. There's like, I'm doing it wrong. They're afraid and they retaliate, but we step on the yoga mat to transform. Step number three, when we talk about embracing vulnerability, you say it's about setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. Why is that so closely related to vulnerability? Well, you can only be vulnerable in safe containers and setting boundaries is creating safe containers. It's stating clearly what's okay and what's not okay. Setting boundaries means you need to get in touch with yourself about what's okay and what's not okay. And I think that path of self-nurturing can can help you tap into those feelings and give yourself permission to tap into those feelings and to change your mind. And simply stating what's okay and what's not okay and not you're okay or you're not okay, just this isn't okay or this is okay. It helps you create a safe container for yourself. It means you want to keep showing up and existing in relationship with someone under these circumstances where it's safe. For as far as your support system goes, I don't know if it's possible for someone to deliver unconditional love all the time. I know some moms out there might disagree with me, but that's that's okay. But even your support system, each and every one of those people needs different boundaries and those boundaries are earned, right? So the person who has earned your trust, you go to a bar and watch a football game. Okay, they show up when they say they will. Okay, they've earned some trust. Now say they violate your trust, okay? They say they're going to show up and they don't and and then it becomes a pattern. And then you set a boundary and you say, hey, I can't meet up with you on Thursdays anymore because I keep showing up and, and you're an hour late and I, I just don't have that kind of time or, or I feel disrespected. So we can hang out at another time, but Thursdays don't work for me anymore. How much of setting boundaries is the way you're explaining it about being truthful, but speaking your truth with other people? Does it start with being honest with yourself? Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. If you're pretending like nothing bothers you, then why would you set a boundary? And I think this is actually why people ghost and stonewall and run away because they don't actually admit that something hurt their feelings and stand up for themselves. They just run away from it and pretend like nothing's wrong. And it actually ends up hurting them worse. Like you haven't even set boundaries for yourself that it's not okay to let people walk all over you. Like what kind of messages are you sending to yourself about your own self-worth? And then what if the other person had no idea that they hurt your feelings? You're leaving this gaping void and that other person is usually going to fill in your story for you. And it's usually the worst possible story. Yeah. So they're making up the story that you're a horrible person when you could, on the other hand, just say, Hey, I'm having a really hard day and I can't make it to watch the football game with you when I said I could. And I'm really sorry, but I'm going to be there as soon as I can. And that honest self-divulgence usually does a lot to maintain these more healthy, loving, equal relationships where there's mutual respect. Two steps left when we're talking about vulnerability. Oh, Lord. This one's going to be the hardest for people, I feel like. If they're tracking with the not that the other steps can't feel difficult when you're doing it, but this one's a big one. Let's talk about apologizing. Yes, the art of apology. Apologizing is the super glue of relationships. You and I have talked about this when we've spoken about trauma. What makes something particularly traumatizing is not what happens in the moment, but often what happens afterward. Yeah. And then the meaning that you make of it. So if someone does a bad thing, huge betrayal violation, and then they abandon you afterwards, they just don't talk about it and they peace out and they bounce or... 
They pretend like nothing's wrong. And then you internalize thinking something must be wrong with you to feel so hurt and bad and wrong because of it. Mm. Or in safe relationships where we are equals and where it's safe for us to take responsibility and admit that we did a wrong thing. We're not a bad person, but we did a bad thing. That takes a lot of internal strength. It takes a lot of social support to know that maybe before you apologize directly, you admit and take responsibility for your part in a more complex situation of pain and hurt and betrayal or abuse or trauma, but to own your part, to practice telling it, maybe you need to, maybe you don't, to, to other people first, safe people first, people in your support system first, and then you can apologize directly and the relationship can mend. And that is one of the hardest things in the world, and I know because I've done it. One thing I'd add to that is a lot of times we talk about love, right? We think love is what happens during those first like three months of a, oh, relationship. a romantic relationship. Yeah, where you're not really meeting the partner, you're meeting sort of their press agent, <laughs> their publicist. You know, you're getting like the the, the best, but they're showing you all the best parts mm -hmm. of themselves. They're putting Here's their my best. potential. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's not reality. Then once sex happens, you know, then we're sort of chemically bonded. Then it's dopamine, oxytocin, and the butterflies in the stomach and the euphoria, and that's all great and good. But love. All that chemical reaction wears off, usually six months to a year, and then you're left with the relationship. Love is what's happening after that, and the love is built in the repair is what I'm hearing you saying. You know, so knowing how to repair and apologize. Knowing how to repair is essential because conflict is inevitable. Yeah. Conflict is just differing opinions, logic, desires, needs, and that exists because you're different people. But you're different people who exist in relationship with one another and conflict can be negotiated and managed and learned from. You can actually become stronger and more resilient through dealing with conflict safely. And personally, I've, I've been through conflict that come out the other end in a relationship stronger than ever where I learned something about myself and my own triggers. I've also been through conflict sure. that was extremely unsafe and it was very hard for me, but I had to take a step away from, from those people. One final step to embrace vulnerability. Well, I don't know. Now I'm looking at the list. I'm like, maybe this is the hardest one. I'm like, oh, God. If any of these were easy, we'd all be more vulnerable. The F word, forgiveness. Forgiveness is super hard because even if you can forgive other people, oftentimes you can't forgive yourself. And this is why we talk about step one and step two and how they're completely interrelated. Your social support and your intimate, loving relationships and your relationship with yourself. I don't think those two things can be teased apart. I think they really inform and reinforce one another. It's such an internal process. Um, but Desmond Tutu and Mfo Tutu, his daughter, have written a wonderful book on the subject called The Book of Forgiving, which is incredibly moving if you have the chance to read it. And um, they talk about a fourfold path of forgiving, and it relates wonderfully with all of these other steps that I've made up <laughs> about being vulnerable, about, um, about, you know, what it takes to live a meaningful life. But anyway, the fourfold path of forgiving is step one, sharing your story, ideally with the one who hurt you. Sometimes that's not safe. Mm -hmm. And so you need to maybe write some letters that you never send sure. or tell somebody else about it. And what I love about this book is it's like sometimes you're going to talk about it a lot mm -hmm. for a long time because you're processing it. So if you've been beating yourself up just for talking about the same thing that's been bothering you for a while, stop beating yourself up so much about it. 
you're processing, whether you know it or not. Step two is naming the hurt. So maybe you talk about the story, but then you get to, why did this hurt me so much? I've heard this called affect labeling, Mm -hmm. where you name the feeling and just by naming the feeling and calling it by its name, it kind of breaks the spell. So it diminishes the effect, especially of that negative emotion on you. So you share your story, you name the hurt. Step three is you grant forgiveness. And step four is you renew or release the relationship. So even though this is heart-wrenching, it's also extremely empowering. You really know your own resiliency mm. by your pass- capacity to forgive. And forgiveness is not spiritual bypassing, is not pretending like nothing's wrong because that shit comes up again. And there's a natural arc to forgiveness. I think a lot of times we're told, you know, spiritually that, uh, oh, you have to, you know, you have to forgive. Well, you don't have to do anything before you're ready. So you have to feel all those emotions. And, you know, the other thing that I would add is forgiveness. You know, a lot of times the reason we're resistant when it comes to vulnerability is we think somehow it it gives a green light to the incident that happened or it makes it okay if we forgive. And ultimately, forgiveness is a A selfish act. Well, yeah, it's a self-oriented tool. You know, it's, it's admitting that the past can't be changed and really trying to change how you relate to the past so that you can move forward. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to leave that person in your life. You can forgive yeah. somebody and be like, there's the door. Yeah. Bye girl. Bye boy. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. I think that those are the biggest barriers that come up for people when it comes to forgiveness. And then forgive. I mean, my God, forgiving yourself is like, you know, we could do a whole I know. hour episode just on that. Rissa Ray, amazing conversation, vulnerability, masculine vulnerability, Super important now, more than ever. And if somebody is listening today and they're moved by the message and they would like to work with you, find out more about you to do a deeper dive into all of the things that we've discussed today, how can they find you online? I'm on Instagram at Rissa Ray, R-I-S-S-A-W-R-A-Y. My website is moving-meditations.com. I am Rissa Ray, and that's Ray with a W, like Faye Ray. Please reach out. I am here. I would love to help. Awesome conversation, my friend. Thank you so much for being you and for uh, for all the wisdom today. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Ah, beautiful conversation. And it's not just one about men. This is about how we show up together in relationships. Uh, This is about support. This is about love. It's about building a higher sense of acceptance and really something that I've been working through personally over the last year. I think if you talk to the last few girls that I've dated since my divorce several years ago, one of the things that they would say is Dan has a hard time opening up. And I'll give you the honest story behind that. There was a time in a pretty significant relationship when I came forward and shared a part of myself that I've actually never even talked about on the podcast before. But I shared uh, my story of being sexually abused as a young child by people that I trusted in my life. And rather than being met with love and support, I was actually met with a lot of resistance and anger that I spoke up and shared that. 
And in that relationship, that's the minute that I quit self-disclosing. And even though she and I were together another two years after that, it's probably the moment that the relationship was over. You know, you can't have intimacy unless you're able to have an honest conversation with your partner. So this applies to everybody. You know, it's just about having a deeper conversation and, you know, creating love amplified if you will. I'd love to know your takeaways and aha moments. You can join us over in the private Facebook group, our Life Amplified Power Tribe. We've got the link for that in the show notes. Don't forget, you can screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram. You can tag Rissa and I. I can be found at CSC. Dan Mason would love for you to give me a follow. And you can find my beautiful friend at Rissa Ray, R-I-S-S-A-W-R-A-Y. Don't forget to leave those honest reviews up on Apple. We're going to get you in the grand prize drawing for that new pair of AirPods at the end of September. And as always, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. I love you. I'll talk to you next week. 